This is the Ag Queen Podcast. This podcast explores the agriculture industry with the movers and shakers of those shaping it. Here's your host, Lori Boyer. Today's podcast is brought to you by Douglas Plant Health. To unharness your soil's fertility and maximize yield, consider Douglas Plant Health. For more than three decades, U.S. farmers, largely organic, have increased yield with the help of SP1 Classic. As fertilizer costs soar and supply chain challenges loom, DPH Biologicals is expanding access to this trusted biofertilizer to the conventional acre. With TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer, growers can replace up to 50% of starter fertilizer. Visit dphbio.com to reclaim soil fertility. Thanks for joining us on a great show here today as I visit with Peter Orwick. He is the executive director of the American Sheep Industry Association. Peter, let's start off just talking about in general, how are the economics, how are things going for sheep producers in the United States? How's the industry? We're like everybody else dealing with the, with the aftermath and impacts of, uh, of the pandemic. And it's been a wild ride in the, in the, in the sheep industry. So we hit record high prices once we got past the initial shock, COVID hitting at Easter Passover of 2020. Unfortunately, now we had such a run up in prices, tremendous amount of excitement in the, in the industry, but they've also now hit an inflationary uh, issues with customers. And so there's some pushback on, on the retail side of, of lamb. Um, at least at the grocery store side, not so much at restaurant. We're seeing the impact of that. We're definitely uh, selling lambs today about half the money we were a year ago, but those were at the highest prices in history. So it's all relative, I guess. And what about exports of the product? How does that look right now? We're up this summer about 48%. I think June is the last report to the end of June. So that's encouraging. And I think part part of that's uh, reflecting the cruise ship industry that is coming back in. People are going on cruises and they're great customers for, uh, for lamb. So I think that's one of the things that we're seeing on the export side. Yeah, that's a pretty big jump of 48%. And again, this is why I like doing these interviews. You just point out information to us that probably the regular consumer wouldn't think about, and even me being in the farm broadcasting broadcasting industry, I would not even think about the cruise ship making such a big difference in how much lamb is consumed. Yeah, absolutely. So we're actually trying to help out the, the lamb feeders around the country, of course, they're the, they take a large share of the risk every year. They have to decide what they're going to pay for these lambs as they're coming off the farms and ranches. And then they finish them off uh, on the weight side to be right for the processors. Uh, and so they're pretty stressed right now. They're just trying to clean up the, clean up the last of, uh, of the lambs that they purchased last fall and winter and get them into the marketplace. And so we're working right now to try to help them. The food banks around the nation are still in desperate need. So we're talking to USDA about perhaps purchasing some lamb meat uh, to help out the food banks and in turn help out the feeders uh, with their demand and supply issues. Now, Let's talk about kind of the obvious, and that is the drought. It seems like most of the country is under some sort of drought. I know there's a few areas that actually have too much water, too much rain, 
but a lot of the country really is under drought. So what is that doing to producers and to the industry right now? You know, where we were in such trouble in the Northern Plains, and I'm talking, you know, parts of Montana and the Dakotas, Wyoming, Colorado, part of those areas really healed up this spring, surprisingly, on their, on their grass and forage and hay. But other areas, you know, parts of Colorado into Texas, Utah, California, they are really struggling. Texas, of course, being the largest sheep producer in the nation, they are claiming that right now drought conditions are worse than they were in 2011 and 12, which they call the 200-year drought event, and they claim that they're approaching that again. So visiting with our growers in that uh, in Lone Star State, tremendous amount of, uh, of cattle and sheep and goats that are moving off the, off the ranches and into the marketplace. So that's all unfortunate. It just seems like we have to deal with drought in some area of the country. And, of course, like everything else, transportation and fuel costs. Everything we do is impacted by that. And that's just another added added cost that everybody's trying to carry. So some of those producers that are offloading their sheep, particularly in Texas, as you just mentioned, is that adding or do you think we're going to see more of a decrease in prices because of the influx of of animals and meat coming into market? You know, Texas is a very uh, interesting market. Uh, They tend to sell uh, a lot more of their sheep into what we call the non-traditional market. It's more the... You know, it's the ethnic-driven uh, demand from the Im- immigrant communities that uh, that really enjoy uh, land product. And sometimes they are able to get prices that the traditional market isn't able to get. So we'll be testing that out this month and next probably as, as we see a lot of these uh, sheep continue to move into the, into the marketplace. You know, it's just whatever... Uh, producers can do, whether it's uh, rainfall insurance or the USDA drought products, uh, hopefully they've, uh, they've got themselves schooled up and, and participating to, to help get through this situation. And with regard back on the transportation that you mentioned, does, does the industry, does the sheep industry use railway at all for shipment or is it primarily trucks? You know, for us, it would be uh, on the feed side. Uh, there would be some some impact uh, with rail transportation, but we're very heavy on uh, on eighteen wheelers uh, truck traffic, just because we don't have a major land processor in every state, so it's more regionally driven. Uh, so at least for the the larger federal commercial uh, packers, you're probably going to put uh, wheels under those lambs once if not twice uh, before they get processed and into the market. Um, even locally, as we're all aware, what we've seen in the last two years is the small state-inspected, federal-inspected uh, local plants. Uh, they continue to be uh, you know, just very, very driven on demand, you know, signing up for uh, slots to process your lambs as much as a year in advance. Uh, so that, that trend still continues. 
And since you brought that up, let's talk about that for just a moment. USDA is, is giving money and is really working on trying to find ways to increase processing capacity of, of protein meat in general and allowing some of these small operations to go ahead and process meat. Is there any of your members or anybody in the industry that may be looking into that and increasing the processing capacity? We're aware of at least two applications that where they were just asking us for statistics. Uh, to help back them up on the grant. So we're aware of that in two two areas. Again, another unique aspect to the to the sheep industry, but you know, the pandemic forced one of the largest lamb processors into bankruptcy and they exited the industry, which would be two years ago last month, July. But fortunately we had two other families or family operations that uh, that actually built land processing plants or reestablished a uh, land processing plant. Very, very fortunate for us that, that these individuals in the feeding and, and production of sheep decided to invest tens of millions of dollars in processing capabilities. So we're very fortunate for their contribution. And Peter, that just makes me ask this question. Where does the majority of the actual animal processing take place in the country? California is a very large processor. Mm-hmm. Colorado is, is probably the largest, followed by Texas and Michigan. Okay. Just a, a food for thought question, I guess. I have never asked you before. So good to learn about that. A couple of other things I wanted to talk with you about today. This is an ongoing issue across the board for agriculture and other industries for that matter. But what about labor? Are, are we seeing some movement in this? Is there is is there some relief in sight on what's going on with having access to labor? That's a great, great question. And it's it it actually impacts every aspect of our of our industry. So at the farm ranch gate, uh, we already uh, have relied on uh, the H2A program for decades just because we have su- such a need for full-time sheep herders. And those are uh, we we bring um, men in from uh, from Mexico, uh, increasingly uh, Peru, uh, sometimes Chile to help with that. So that we're using that program full tilt. But you know, for for most of us, it's still not enough. We need we need more opportunity to hire folks that that want to do the work and have livestock experience. But it's amazing we're we're unable to keep up on the land processing side they're trying to keep their labor force uh, in place and that's a continual struggle and we see it on the wool mill side we've mm-hmm. had difficulty making uh, you know hitting our schedule with wool uh, uniforms to the to the military again just to have these and not just to have the the labor to get the production done but enough labor to do it profitably so if you're running a plant or a wool mill but you're at two-thirds capacity, you're probably not operating efficient enough to be profitable. That's that's the other piece of it, is one is getting it done, and the second being able to get it done profitably. Wow. So you bring up a, a good point. Even if prices were to go up, even if prices were to do better here in the next year or two, the farmer or the producer may not even see that because of the labor costs and being able to run efficiently. They may not even see that profit margin. Yeah, that's true. I mean, our 
how well our customers are doing, which is a wool mill, which is a lamb plant, which is a lamb distributor. You know, their balance sheet has a direct correlation to what we're going to see when wool clip is, is ready to go to town or the lambs get ready. We'll continue on our conversation with American Sheep Industry Association Executive Director Peter Orwick right after this. For more than three decades, U.S. farmers, largely organic, have increased yield with the help of SP1 Classic. As fertilizer costs soar and supply chain challenges loom, DPH Biologicals is expanding access to this trusted biofertilizer to the conventional acre. With TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer, growers can replace up to 50% of starter fertilizer. Visit dphbio.com to reclaim soil fertility. Once again, Peter Orwick is my guest on the show here today, Executive Director of the American Sheep Industry Association. All right, Peter, a couple other questions I have for you. When it comes to the war in Ukraine, a lot of the information I get pertains mainly to the greens industry. Is there any ramifications or anything going on with the sheep industry with what's going on with the war in Ukraine? You know, we haven't seen the impact, uh, you know, within ours uh, as much yet, just because we export a tremendous amount of our wool clip. Um, but Asia has been long time the, the, the home for that. And as we've explored markets uh, outside, there is some Eastern European uh, interest in, in our wool, uh, but we've been focusing much more on Egypt, uh, Italy, um, and uh, most recently of late, India to try to move uh, more of our of our wool into that, and on the uh, on the export side, we're really focused on Mexico, the Caribbean, and you'll see Florida show up a lot. But that's cruise ship business. In in reality, it's it's not fall into an export category, but uh, but really, it's cruise ship business. And then the last question I have for you at this point. I- could take that back depending on how you answer this, but we are hearing a lot primarily in the cattle industry right now, but a lot about greenhouse gases and nitrogen and carbon footprints. And especially in the Netherlands where there's a lot of drama going on over there and farmers are striking and the government's wanting to close down some of those CAFOs or confined animal feeding operations. And a lot of people are thinking that could come over into the U S and we could start seeing more of that. Is the sheep industry feeling any of that? Are you watching for any of that? Or, you know, kind of what's going on in this realm? We're cooperating with our uh, our promotion program, the American Land Board, on a sustainability project. We're doing that uh, with the University in Michigan. Okay. And that is slated for uh, release at our annual sheep industry convention in mid-January 2023 in Fort Worth, Texas. So it's it's something that you absolutely have to be involved in. And you know, so we're, we're tracking that legislatively, but we're also doing the research and record-keeping side to, uh, to really have an explanation for, again, for our customers on the wool and the, and the land market uh, for their use with the American consumer. See, I do have another question. So with regard to tracking, since you mentioned that, it triggered another question. Um, the SEC Securities Exchange Commission even looking at having producers really track everything and report to them. That would include the sheep industry, right? That's, that's correct. We've, uh, we've commented on that issue and the, and the very serious concerns that, that we have. 
and we're supportive of legislation that was introduced uh, recently in the in the U.S. Senate to try to help us uh, with that regulation because it truly is a concern as small businesses, and we've got a hundred thousand of them in America that graze uh, sheep as part of their ag operation. So it's an important topic to watch. Yeah, 100,000. Thanks for sharing that number. That does put it into perspective. This is not a small industry. I mean, we're talking a large amount of people that would be affected. Absolutely. Okay. Any You mentioned this sustainability initiative, but any other initiatives or projects that are coming down the pike? We've rolled out what we uh, have named the American Wool Assurance Program. We now have three levels of certification that are available, either as an individual uh, sheep producer, uh, or we have an opportunity where ranches can, uh, can do it collectively. And again, if that's an opportunity that whoever you're selling your wool through needs the traceability and a certification of how your animals are treated and how your wool is produced and the quality. Uh, so that's been a three-year program in the making. So that's uh, we're very pleased to have that uh, available to sheep producers. And next, we're working on a lot of disease preparation and management, you know, whether it's foot and mouth, uh, that's obviously a key concern. I think we have four different projects that we're working with USDA on to make sure that we have a business plan and and preparation in place for sheep producers should we have a major disease uh, outbreak. One of the unique things that we added this year is because we do have about a third of our sheep on federal lands at some point during the year. Uh, we added a component that wasn't there prior for livestock, which is how do you manage a disease event when you're out on BLM or U.S. Mm. forces? Okay, that's an interesting point. We'll have to pick up on that another time, maybe uh, when you know a little bit more about that, because I haven't heard about that, so that'd be good. Any um, comments on policy, including the Inflation Reduction Act just passed? You know, I think people are, are very interested in, in the readout on that and what could be available for agriculture. Another one on our radar as of last week is a new organic rule that USDA has put out for comments. So we're, we're taking a look at, uh, at that proposal. Questions or concerns or thoughts that we need to weigh in on. Okay. And just real quick, like what would that be involved when it comes to the sheep industry? Is it the feed that we're talking about primarily or? Uh, you know, a lot of it is, and again, we've just very, just taken a very, uh, very 30,000 foot uh, view at it so far, but more of it involves either housing or, or animal oh. management, much more so than, than the other aspects of livestock production. So we want to take a to look at that. One thing that just jumped out at me is they talk about uh, musling. And that's not a practice that's done in the United States. So I'm just very curious why that would be in in an organic role in the United States. So those are the kind of things that we're going to be digging into over the coming weeks to to prepare our comments. Can you give me just a quick 101? What is that exactly? That's a practice in Australia. They have a terrible issue with fly strike. And they will actually have flies that will infect Traditionally, it's the it's the uh, rear end of, of lambs and sheep down there. And so they have a practice where they go through and try to get rid of the extra skin folds where the flies get oh, to. Okay. Uh, so, again, it's very, 
very uh, it's it's relegated strictly to Australia. So that was I'm just curious why that would even be in the U.S. Huh. Uh, Anything else you wanted to mention here today? I always appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and, and with your folks out there that are listening to your work. You do a great job. I thank my guest for joining me on the show here today, Peter Orwick, Executive Director of the American Sheep Industry Association. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Ag Queen Podcast with your host, Lori Boyer.